Welcome to Music Nerds Unite. Welcome to our band uh, greatest albums of all time tournament. We're into the 70s now. We already completed the 60s. Uh, and uh, again, I have with me my brother Keith and our buddy Larry. So we're going to talk about some great albums. Um, let's just start right off, guys. How you doing? Doing well. Glad that we yeah. added some music. Yeah, we're trying something new. We're, we're trying some music excerpts. Larry has been uh, a big proponent of this, and he is the DJ. Uh, so hopefully, I think this will be a cool new addition. Scott, Scott is not is. We're breaking copy copyright laws, and Scott's not on board with it. But yeah, I'm a little worried. But uh, Keith, my my brother, kind of said, "Hey, if." If the Who want to take issue with us, that, that means that uh, we're doing something right. So, uh, you know, let's go with it, right? So, uh, anyway, the first matchup we have here is, uh, again, in the 70s. Uh, we have 16 great albums that we're going to discuss. Uh, the first matchup is David Bowie and the Spiders from Mars uh, with Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars against... Van Halen's classic first album, Van Halen 1. And uh, I was a little shocked at how low Van Halen 1 was on the best ever album uh, listing. It was, what, in like the 300s or 400s? Uh, very, you know, classic hard rock album. Again, just kind of shows their anti-hard rock bias. But whatever, uh, David Bowie is going to advance anyway to me. Well, we had a lot of classic albums, a lot of different phases, but my favorite album from him and my favorite phase from him was that glam rock phase with, with, with the Spiders and, and Ziggy Stardust just had so many great songs. You look at the track list, Five Years, you know, Starman, you know, um, Suffragette City, uh, the title track, and, and Moon Age Daydream with that epic guitar solo there at the end, just one after another. And the closer, man. Yeah, Rock and Roll Suicide, just uh, one of those classic closers, too. Um, Van Halen 1 is was, you know, just a phenomenal album, too. You know, we it was one of those, you know, before and after albums, you know, like the Sex Pistols or Nevermind or Sgt. Pepper is, you know, before... Van Halen won, you know, nobody played guitar like Eddie Van Halen. You know, after Van Halen won, everybody wanted to play guitar like Eddie Van Halen, even though very few people could. And then you had David Lee Roth was the, you know, the ultimate showman. You know, he was just had that goofy, uh, kind of lovable, you know, persona. And, uh, you know, I don't think they ever had a better batch of songs than, than on Van Halen one with Eruption, of course, the van halen guitar song running with the devil and talking about love you know jamie's crying and so on and so on that great cover the kinks you you really got me uh so again we're talking to me to a plus albums here uh it's just to me bowie has you know he checks more boxes as far as importance and uh there's a reason it's the number one seed i i think uh you know, his band was great. Mick Ronson on guitar. I think his songwriting was at a peak. And as much as I love Van Halen 1, uh, uh, I think we were unanimous about this one, that that uh, the Zig Man is going on. I don't think that's a, anyone's ever actually called him the Zig Man before. So Probably not. Scratch could be first. Could be a first for us, <laughs> for, 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 for David Bowie. There, there's, there's no way that Van Halen can beat Ziggy 
but Van Halen is a phenomenon. And, and I know, you know, a lot of people came to Van Halen with 1984, but to me, the first album is still the best. Like you said, Scott, you ticked off a number of songs. Every song on here is phenomenal. And we talked about it a lot with um, Eric Clapton. Eddie Van Halen is another one who, the signature guitar, like you hear Eddie Van Halen playing guitar and you know immediately who it is. Like, I remember with the first time I ever heard Beat It and you hear his solo at the middle and you're like, wait, it, it, that, that has to be Eddie Van Halen. Why on earth would Eddie Van Halen be in a Michael Jackson song? But yet it's so distinctive. You know, there, there could be nobody else who could have played that, right? Yeah. There, and there's so many good radio songs on this album. Things like, you know, we, we've talked about like, are there, there are some albums where you put it on and you need to be in the right mood. Whereas this one, you could put it on, put it on shuffle and any song you're going to be in the mood for. It's, it's one of those kind of albums. Yeah, Van Halen one is like, it's like your first, and you know, wherever the age, it, Van Halen, that's like your first girlfriend, where the, she'll always have a special place in your heart. <laughs> but then when you, you know, you look back, you know, 30 years later, <laughs> um, or even, you know, when you, like, there's a perspective that you get when you get a broader view of the world, where Bowie just, you know, sort of has a, you know, a bigger place in music and, you know, Ziggy just is this monster, right? You know, the, the songs that, that are on the album are just, you know, from the very, you know, from the first five years is this monster, you know, opening track to Ziggy um, that just, to me, it overshadows everything that's on, um, Van Halen, as great as Van Halen one is, it, it's you know there's just a a largeness to to Bowie that um, and to your point, Scott, like you know Van Halen changed music, right? Like Eddie changed guitar, um, and there's definitely something to be said for that. But when you think about album for album, you know Ziggy just is above. And yeah. five it's years. Another one for me where I appreciate it so much more when I listen to it completely, as opposed to, you know, hearing Starman and yeah. I don't know, Ziggy and and you know the, the things that you hear on the radio as opposed to listening to it. Like five years, that's not something you hear on the radio, but yeah, oh. you can only you can only appreciate how good it is by listening to the album. And then this is another one where we also wonder why it's not on the radio. <laughs> like, like, it also shows what a great like, singer he is, too. Like, what a vocal performance that is, right? What a yeah. what a powerhouse vocal performance. Yeah. Um, and rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Uh, you know, he recently passed away. And uh, I want to mention Fair Warning also. I think that's a phenomenal album. Uh, but we went with the first one, which uh, to me was, was the right call. Uh, but, but Bowie, uh, it's funny, when I was younger, I, I really didn't, grasp like how you know the how big bowie was and how you know ha that he was one of the giants of modern music you know i and you know I, I had to do a little bit of educating myself to to realize just just you know he he's among the all-time greats and uh, that was to me his his greatest album though he did have other great albums so we're, we're gonna stick by this one and uh he's gonna move on and now this next one is a really close matchup, even though I think we unanimous, unanimously agreed 
upon the victor. We have Bruce Springsteen, a surprisingly low seed number eight at you know, with Born to Run and, and the Rolling Stones with a, another surprisingly low seed just shows how great the 70s was with Sticky Fingers. Uh, these are my two favorite albums by both of these artists who are both like in my top five all-time favorite al- artists. So, you know, these albums are near and dear to me, although I love some of their other albums as well. And I think certainly for the Stones, you could have went with maybe Let a Bleed or Exile on Main Street. We went with sticky fingers and and i think it was the right call i think it's it's got that quintessential stone sound you know that sleazy yet rocking uh guitar sound and, and mick taylor added so much to the band during this period with uh you know like songs like sway the guitar in that song and and wild horse is just such a classic ballad brown sugar can't you hear me knocking uh moonlight mile talk about a great album closer uh Bitch, Monkey Man. No, Monkey Man was actually on Let It Bleed. Forget that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great album. Uh, Born to Run uh, was uh, like, uh, you want to play some tunes? Yeah, I think, I think. You got to put this on if you're going to be talking about Born to Run. Of course. You can talk over this intro. You can talk over this intro. Whereas born to run, the Born to Run intro is just like, it just kicks off and explodes into epicness. Oh, you mean like this? Yeah, no, there we go. Yeah. Well, you could do the intro to Backstreet's too. We could, or the intro to Jungle Land too, which I think is a phenomenal closer. The sax solo. It's, it's sax so good. Solo. I mean, you know, th- this is, I'm sure we'll be talking about Born to Run going forward since it, 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 it is going to move on ahead, yeah. despite that- being very close. But, you know, I always, I always go back to when, when this album came out in, in 75, Bruce was, you know, probably people in the tri-state area knew Bruce from shows and touring and music critics know him and people music him. But when this album came out, this was Bruce exploding. This is Bruce being on the cover of Time and Newsweek at the same time, which, you know, for those in 2021, Time and Newsweek, what are those? But that was a really big fucking deal at the time. Like that, that's yeah. being on like the cover of the two most influential news magazines in the United States. And this really propelled him from, again, being a, you know, good songwriter, good rocker to potentially being like the, the biggest artist, in, you know, biggest American artist at the time going forward and right. and th- you know this is another one of those albums which we're, we're going to say a lot of where every song you, you play it you put you put it on and and it you know it it transports you it tells you a story it tells you something i mean this is this is bruce at at his his peak his his most rocking also introspective maybe not nebraska like introspective but but still deep and yet still crushing it yeah i mean it's got four maybe five of his greatest songs of all time right you got thunder road backstreets born to run jungle and 10th avenue freeze out but what's amazing is the album tracks are great too like night she's the one meeting across the river the whole album is phenomenal and you know this was really the 
E Street Band it was solidified at this point as one of the all-time great backing bands. You had the big man, you know, uh, just such a great, yeah, such a great cover. Uh, you know, it's cool cover and and just you know, I think that his stated goal was to to marry the the lyrics of of Bob Dylan, which you heard at the beginning of Thunder Road with the, with that poetic first stanza to the, the splendor of the music of Phil Spector. And, and I, I think he totally nailed it with that sound. And uh, so he, he was such a great lyricist. And I'll say, you know, like one thing I'll give him over Bob Dylan is like Dylan was a great lyricist, but he he could never create music like this as yeah, far I mean, as like this, a, that, that big think, sound, you know? Exactly. I always think of Bruce as like, Bruce is a, <clears throat> Bruce is an artist where you could easily see going to listen to him in like a 300 person, you know, theater. And I've seen him in the Meadowlands, right? You know, a giant stadium, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, he, can be, he can be an arena rocker and yet you could see him doing a stripped down acoustic set in front of like, you know, 50 people and they would both be equally amazing. I, I don't know if I can say that about Dylan, at least on the giant stadium side. Yeah. Right and in this matchup, you know, you have two artists at different stages of their careers where, you know, the Stones were just being the Stones and Springsteen was just, you know, emerging as this, you know, to be icon. It's all, to me, you know, Born to Run is not to, you know, to modernize it somewhat, to fast forward a little bit. It's, you know, it's like the Joshua Tree for, which we'll talk about later. It's, it's like that band that, that you know that you see has that potential that potential and has already sort of exhibited certain qualities and they're you know they've just you know emerged you know stated that i'm here you know like this is Taking this is my world. exactly like take note this is uh, this is something to to take notice of because not only you know am i not only is this great, but I'm aspiring to be great, right? Like this is Bruce Springsteen saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not just a small, I'm not, I'm not aspiring to, to play to small crowds. I'm aspiring to play to the, you know, to large stadiums and yeah. like creating this music that's both intimate, but also just huge. And he didn't actually graduate to those stadiums in, until probably years later, with, with especially born in the USA. But but this album was pivotal in, in kind of jump-starting him to that level for sure. And and I think it's his best album. Whereas, you know, Sticky Fingers was, was, was prime stones, you know, it was during their peak, during Mick, the Mick Taylor era. And I, I, I think that was their best era because of, of his phenomenal guitar playing skills and before the drugs really kind of, you know, took their toll before they kind of became yeah, a little complacent, did. you know, yeah. so this was, was prime stones and uh, definitely worthy of classic status. But that's the thing with this tournament, you know, amazing albums are just going to get kicked to the curb and, and sticky fingers <laughs> was one of them. So, uh, Onward we go. So we have Ziggy winning and, and born to run. I don't, I don't feel bad about it. No, no, absolutely not. And uh, this is a very interesting matchup. Uh, on number five, Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division versus, yes, Close to the Edge. And, and we're talking about uh, another big contrast here. And uh, 
this is one where we had a little disagreement. We kind of talked about it a little bit. Uh, we did? I think we did. Maybe we didn't, but we, we Speak up if you disagreed, because it wasn't me. We wasn't weren't me. unanimous. I, I had yes in this, and oh, I know. Oh, there you go. So I, I was the lone dissenter. So, as long as we clarify, yeah. you were the yeah. only person yeah. who yeah. You were wrong. against you. you I, <laughs> <laughs> to me, Close to the Edge is one of the all time great progressive rock albums, especially the title track is just amazing. Their, their musicianship was just second to none. And, it's just three songs, a three song album. That's, you know, that's crazy, you know, 20 minute song and like two 10 minute songs. And, and yet it, it all was great in my opinion. And, uh, you know, progressive rock was, was always kind of dissed by the critics as being pretentious, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, you know, those songs, you know, they, if you listen to them, they're not showing off. They're playing with each other, and, and it all fits, and, and it's majestic and brilliant. And uh, so I had close to the edge, but, but Unknown Pleasures is going to advance because I was outvoted. So, so why don't you guys tell me why Unknown Pleasures should advance? Well, I, I thought that we were going to save some of the uh, Unknown Pleasures discourse for later rounds and talk more about yes, but... We got to roll with the punches. What we say and what we do are two very yeah, different, two things. very different things. That's that's fine. <laughs> I will I will say one or two things about unknown pleasures, and then I'm going to defer to uh, to Keith. But as good as close to the edge is, and yes, prog rock gets unfairly dissed. There's some tremendous prog rock albums. There's lots that, and we could do a prog rock tournament that would be phenomenal as well. To me, the difference between Close to the Edge and Unknown Pleasures is that Close to the Edge is a great album. It's a great Yes album. And unless I was looking at it, I'm not sure I would know that it was Close to the Edge or, I don't know, Relayer or, you know, Yes. I'm like, they, they all are of the same ilk. They all sound very similar. They're, I'm not saying I don't like them. I think they're all very good. But it's the same. It's the same mode. I could I could listen to them all sort of interchangeably. As a matter of fact, when I was going through my um, my spreadsheet, I I did listen to all albums in a row, and I like I, I don't know that I could necessarily tell you the difference between all of them, right? Um, whereas Unknown Pleasures has a distinct sound and a distinct vibe, and it and it it's unlike anything else. And and coming to it in like the early to mid 80s when I first discovered Joy Division, which was, you know, five, seven years after it came out, I was floored. I can't even imagine what my reaction would have been had I heard it when it first came out because it would have been unlike anything that I'd heard before. And now I'm going to turn it over to Keith, who I think has even more passion for this album than I do. Yeah, to me, and again, Close to the Edge is one of those albums that you, you listen to and you put it on and you get immersed in it and it's great. And it's one of those, and, and you have to sort of put it, you know, you have to commit to, you know, however, what is it? 50 minute, 50 minute, three song experience. You have to commit to it in, in a certain way. Joy Division is just this separate beast you know they're they're two album animal that just changed you know the course of music history in a way that 
um, you know, resonated in different ways, you know, throughout the decades that followed. Um, to me, just in a, in a more impactful way than, than Close to the Edge did. And, you know, just song by song, if I had song by song, there's just more to Unknown Pleasures. It's just, it, to me, it's just, there's more there to remember. There's more there to sort of be impacted by. Um, and Joy Division themselves are just this, you know, Ian's this iconic figure in music history that, you know, is he was there and then he was gone. And, and this is his le part, you know, his brief legacy. And, you know, I can't disrespect that brief legacy by pushing yes. I just I can't do it. Well, if you, if you listen to our NIT tournament, you know I'm a huge Joy Division fan as well. Yes. Uh, I think not quite as much as my as these two guys. <laughs> and, and I want to just add a couple things to that. I, I think you guys made your case well, and I'm reconsidering my vote uh, because of that. It, not that it matters. I, my vote lost anyway. But you already lost. <laughs> I think progressive rock has, has kind of been uh, – undergone a renaissance in, in terms of critical acclaim due to the internet and sites like rate your music where you know it used to just be the whole old stuffy guard like rolling stone yeah. you know and and, and those guys are, are irrelevant at this point there, there's a whole new you know i i think the fans always you know the critics not liking Prague had nothing to do with their sales so yes had number one albums they it didn't matter and i i think you know people over the years kind of have come around just the musicianship and uh and i i think with with the internet and and all these different uh places to read about and find music i think bands like yes have have seen a reappraisal you know like getting into the rock and roll hall of fame bands like rush and genesis as well so i I think that has definitely changed in recent. And there's a, and to, to be honest, like, and I agree with you, Scott. Like, when I when I think about the impact that prog metal, prog rock had on sort of the evolution of music, you know, it, there's there's a lot there, right? Like, post metal, like bands like Isis, like bands that we like today, that like that emerged from that like ISIS and other metal, like heavier bands, like owe something to the prog rock era that led to that. Led to that. And, and there is a continuity there. But Joy Division also sort of feeds it, like there's a, there's a connection, like there's emerging over time of those types of influences, I think that created other types of um, impactful music. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, with, with Yes and with, prog rock in general. I also feel like, like was yes influential in prog rock? Absolutely. But prog rock doesn't necessarily fit the way people listen to music these like today. Whereas yeah. it's longer, it's more immersive. It's not, it's not playlisty, right? Like yeah, it's, you need to listen to Opeth is another well, again we 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 have some metal in our background that yeah. are have, definitely have influences from yeah you know the 
the prog rock era from King Crimson through Yes, through Rush. And... Yeah, it's more music for a cult audience, and the musicianship is is certainly to be respected, even Absolutely. if you don't love it. I think where you guys make a good point, where where maybe Yes is lacking, is 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 in the emotion. Like you can really enjoy a Yes song but it's not going to touch you like Joy Division will. You know, it's not going to break your heart like listening. Crush you. You mean, when touch, you mean crush. Crush your soul. Where, I mean, yeah. we, we talked about this separately, but like, and, and maybe this is for a, you know, another round, but you got to be in the right place for, for Joy Division. And and that right place can be a good place. And it can be it can be not a good place. But you got to be in the right place for it. Whereas, yes, I mean, it's, I'm, I don't want to call it oral, you know, wallpaper because that's, that's, that's dissing it. And that's not what I mean, but, Yes, you could listen to it in the background. And like you said, Scott, it's not going to necessarily hit you or touch you. It's great and it's good to listen to. But Joy Division, you got me in a certain frame. Yeah, right, Joy Division moves you on. a little harder for sure. All right, you guys win. Uh, and just, just to kind of Closer is a great album too. You know, just to say, like, we, we really, I think if originally we actually picked Closer and we, we, we changed our mind to, to kind of change the decades and, and whatnot, but whatever. They're, they're both essential. They're both. They're pleasures both. And, closer. and I think you, you pointed out a couple of times, Scott, that, that you could argue their three most popular or most well-known songs are not on Closer or on Unknown Pleasures. Absolutely. So so pick up their Substance compilation as well because exactly. uh, yeah. it has those three songs, and which are Transmission, Level Tear Us Apart, and Atmosphere. So and that's we, and to add to that, right? Can't stop New on Order, these guys. Uh, no, <laughs> New Order's first albums, first album had songs that were written in that era as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're a fan of Ceremony or Temptation or even Age of Consent, there's, there's definitely that Joy Division influence or even direct impact on on you know those magical creations that that led to greater things as well. All right, so we're on to the next matchup. And uh, the number four seed, Fleetwood Mac Rumors, versus the number 13 seed, Genesis Selling England by the Pound. Another more prog rock. More prog rock. This is the 70s. That was the heyday of progressive rock, right? The early 70s. So it makes sense. This was 73, the same year, I believe, as close to the edge. Oh, that was 72, so uh, close enough. Anyway, uh, Selling England by the Pound, to me, is the peak of the Peter Gabriel era Genesis, along with Foxtrot and also uh, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. They had this very English sound. We mentioned how the Kinks were very English, so was Genesis. Um, Gabriel was a great singer, very theatrical. In concert, he would wear these weird masks and... uh, but they had a pastoral sound, uh, great musicianship as well. Maybe not on the yes level, but, you know, you had Phil Collins. Before he became, you know, Phil the solo artist, he was just a great drummer in Genesis and would sing occasionally as well. Um, Peter Gabriel, great singer. And, and uh, Hackett, uh, Steve Hackett was a great um, underrated guitar player, very underrated. In fact... His guitar solo on my favorite song here, Firth of Fifth, is literally, you know, it's it's in my top 10 all-time favorite guitar solos. We, we talk emotion in a guitar solo, and, and 
it's just phenomenal. And you had other great songs, Dancing with the Moonlit Night, um, you know, in, the in, cinema like, show. Probably enough, I think, for, for Genesis, like most people, when they think of Genesis, they don't think of prog rock. They certainly have probably never listened to Selling Angle by the Pound. Like at best, maybe they're thinking Invisible Touch, right? Yeah, there's like two Genesises, right? There's the Phil two Collins Gen era. Yeah. And there's then, a popular and, one and then yeah and, and, you know they're and, actually bipolar yeah the thing is i like them both you know and there's a lot of people who like one and hate the other and vice versa i think it's all good i think the gabriel stuff is better even though it's less popular i think it's more respected you know over time it has become more respected yeah. uh as those you know the, the that those changes that we talked about in the you know previously it's kind of happened over the years. Um, and I think this is, is just their peak. You know, it's a great, great album. but Phenomenal album. But it's also going against. So, so you take it from here, Larry. I mean, why is it going to lose? It's, I mean, come on. Because it's going against Rumors, which for, for many years was, I think, what the longest running album in uh, – Billboard top 200. It was for like a decade or something like that. Or or no, it might have been. That was the dark side of the moon. Might have been yeah. dark side, but yeah, but 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 it was a brilliant and 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 tremendous seller. I mean, yeah, and 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 this is another one of those albums where you can listen to it as an album. You can also listen to it as a collection of unbelievable songs, right? Like every song on this album is something you've heard on the radio. You've heard and you, you know from the first couple of notes. Um, it's, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about rumors going forward, but it's also the sound of two relationships collapsing. They had this whole incestuous thing going on where they were sleeping with one another or breaking up with one another and then coming into the studio the next day and writing songs about it and playing together about songs about how terrible they all were to one another. And you can feel that in the music. So on, it's got this weird dichotomy of some great, amazing pop rock songs that are about people being truly awful to one another in their relationships, and yet it works. And and it's that brilliance of th that of bringing those two things together that makes this such a classic. Well said, well said. And they did a lot of cocaine too while they were doing, recording. <laughs> that was California in the seventies. Well, this is another thing. One of this is one of those albums where you can listen to it with your buddies. You can listen to it with your wife. You can listen to it with your kids. Everybody likes this album. Yeah. And, and we, and you know, we grew up in this era, but in this era, everybody grew up with rumors. Yeah. So there's a familiar, there, there's, you know, a personal attachment to, you know, not only, you know, go your own way, but every song on the album, you know, where you can connect to songs that may not have been as popular, but you know are great nonetheless. Right, Songbird is like Scott and I. We grew up with we grew up with the album, but we also sort of grew up, you know, with memories of song specific songs that were, you know, just resonate with you. And and you know, as much as Rumors is a singles you know in some ways a singles album it's an album right it's yeah. there's every song there is, is, you know, is end to end you, right you right it's it's not like there are other singles albums that you know you can say it's 
this song, this song, this song. This is start to finish. It's it's an album. Everything is, you know, I, I almost go into it wanting to vote against it um, and go for the, you know, the more, you know, um, the you know, the different type of, of album in Genesis. But, you know, there's just, you can't, at the end of the day, you just can't go against it. You can't go against Silver it. Springs didn't make the album. You know, that's how good this album is. That a song of that quality, which became a, a hit years later when they did the dance, the live album. Yep. Um, you know, and to this day, I, I harbor a little bit of a grudge to my wife when we went to see Fleetwood Mac in concert. She had to have a pretzel, and I missed the chain because of that. So uh, I'm, I'm still, uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, so a little peeved about that, but anyway, I ran for um, I ran for office in high school, and really? I, I, I made a that. mix. I made it. I lost badly, but I made a mix. I, I voted for you. I made a mix. I think, and the chain the chain was one of the songs in my mix for you know the rally that we that we did. We lost. I have no recollection of that, but okay. I, I tried to watch it for that. Probably because you lost. Anyway, uh, that's very interesting. Um, Who knows what could have happened had you won? Totally could have changed the course of the world. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I could have been with um, you know the Clintons playing right. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, you were in <laughs> yeah, the Don't stop. Absolutely. Popping out the don't stop. That's right. Yeah, good, re- good memory. Uh, so rumors is is going to win, but. We would we would definitely advise anyone to check out uh, selling you know just that whole Genesis era you know starting with Nursery Crime really yeah. uh, you know Foxtrot selling it by the yeah uh, you know Landmines Down but to me the 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 peak of that uh, Peter Gabriel era was selling England by the pound yep uh, but rumors has to advance. Uh, and uh, they're going to be tough to beat, I'm sure. Uh, although unknown pleasures, who they're matched up against, who it's matched up against, um, is formidable as well. Um, wow, this is another battle of of two A plus albums that I absolutely love. Uh, to my favorite artists, two giants, yep. and two of my favorite albums. Uh, number six, The Who. Who's next? And number 11. All right, sorry. After the go. Gold Rush, Neil Young. I still remember hearing this album, and I think I spoke with Matt about it uh, in prior po- podcasts. Uh, it was in my mother's car, probably an eight-track after the Gold Definitely Rush. Definitely eight-track. Definitely eight-track. Right? It was just one of those perfect albums right, where, where it all added up to greater than the sum of its parts, which we've talked about repeatedly. Uh, it had these great folksy songs like, you know, uh, Tell Me Why and uh, mm-hmm. Only Love Can Break Your Heart. And it had these rockers also like, uh, you know, Southern Man, you know, which Leonard Skinner uh, yeah. took issue with uh, later on. And uh, When You Dance, I Can Really Love. And then it had these little you know, minute-long songs like Till the Morning Comes and Cripple Creek Ferry was another one, which were kind of like little nothings, but they were catchy and they added to the overall experience and it just made for, uh, to me, what is Neil Young's best album, even though he has many, many great albums. To me... It almost the- sounds... It, it almost, you know, when if you... People should probably listen to it on a 
on an, either a, a record or an eight track to get a better mm-hmm. sense of how it truly <laughs> is meant to be to sound because there's something like organic about the way the album was meant to be played and, and yeah, the way it sounds, sounds normal i feel like if you listen to it like back when we probably all heard it for the exactly when you just yeah. you know you put that you know the turntable a lot that hiss. neil young was was never a fan of cds because his, his music was was you know was meant to be heard warts and all wasn't yeah, supposed to be wow. perfect you know he had other great albums like everybody knows this is nowhere uh, on the beach tonight's the night. Rust never sleeps. Uh, Harvest, of course, is biggest commercial peak. Uh, but it, later on, even great albums like Ragged Glory. Ragged Glory is phenomenal, right? But uh, the album he came out with this last year in 2020. That's a that's a solid album for somebody who's been making albums for like 55 yeah. years. Well, you talking about Homegrown, the, the, the one that that was kind of like the old stuff yeah. that he released, or was there another yeah, new I mean, one? I know, I know it felt like you know, I know some of it was old and it and it felt like that, but nonetheless, I mean, it's yeah. making music for fifty-five years. And I get distracted great. though. After the Gold Rush is one of the best songs of yeah. all time. Yeah, and it's, it's there's a personal like if you grew up with that song, like you, there's an emotional attachment to it that. You know, very for me, very few songs actually have the same type of emotional connection. That yeah. said, this is a matchup, and they're going against it. <laughs> That's a good point, though. That's and Neil, he doesn't, he's not known as a great singer, but he certainly has had a share of great vocal performances, and I, I think that's probably at the top of, of that list. It's just something very affecting about it that that high pitched. Uh, voice he has you know it's uh he's not a guy who would do very well on american idol but you know he's got a unique sound and uh it just kind of sorry dog that's a no for me yeah sorry dog but hey he's Neil young he doesn't need american idol but unfortunately uh um neil young's gonna lose this matchup because he's going against one of the most perfect albums ever created Who's next? What Which, song? What song did we play to introduce this decade? Yeah, Bob O'Reilly. Bob O'Reilly, which is uh, one of the all-time great songs, as is obviously "Won't Get Fooled Again." Stands out as one of the great album closers. In between, you got "Bargain," uh, "My Wife," maybe John Entwistle's greatest song, "Going Mobile," "Behind Blue Eye." I mean, this album is just amazing. I mean. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was, you know, speaking about closing albums, like most of the time when we do that, we talk about the closer, right? The last song, like we talked about Jungle Land for Born to Run, yeah. Won't Get Fooled Again. But going from Behind Blue Eyes to Won't Get Fooled Again, that that contrast of, you yeah. know, a little more introspective, uh-huh. like uh-huh. Roger really like feeling what's what's going on, what it's like, you know, like the, the ennui that you sometimes have as a rock star to then to just the, epic riot of won't get fooled again i mean that's you, you can't close out better behind blue eyes but it's it pretty rocking yeah. too though yeah. you know the it's half. really it, it is interesting though it's an interesting dynamic of how you think about albums especially as we think about as we get into the, the next matchup but right this is a song of an album of songs right you mm. go from one song to the next song it's not necessarily as cohesive an experience, you know, from song to song and saying this is a, this is the album. But 
when you go song by like rumors is as well right that yeah. like every song is just great and by definition if every song is great the album is going to be great um but so it, it wins f- for that reason but you know there's there's a difference between an album like who's like this and um we'll get into the next round uh, won't get fooled again meet the new boss same as the old boss some some great lyrics there those keyboards and <clears throat> great, what do you think the greatest scream in rock history yeah, it's yeah. certainly it's up, up there. there but to me, Baba just—Baba uh, to me, I, I like Baba better own. too. And 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 one thing we we should mention also is is who's next was salvaged from what was supposed to be a much bigger album, the Lifehouse Project, which you know, like Smile, which which ruined Brian Wilson. Uh, Pete Townsend, fortunately, w- was able to, to to condense, you know, this bigger project into something smaller, and in doing so, created a perfect album. So, uh, you know, props to him for for you know cutting his losses, I guess, and 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 and, and ending up with something even more amazing. So, uh, so phenomenal. Um, one, one more shout out, another iconic cover. Oh yeah kind of cover and great production glenn johns and i think this was just their peak like roger never sounded better you know that rhythm section which may be the greatest in rock history they were on top of their game you had very innovative use of synthesizers on this album you know this is 1971 you know think about that and uh right everyone i I mean hopefully if you're listening to this podcast everyone knows what the beginning of Bob O'Reilly is based upon it was uh, it was Pete Townsend's um, waves, right? Which was very big in the seventies. Like what, you know, where, where are your waves and if all three of your waves are peaking at the same time and that's what it's based upon. Right. Which was, you know, they took that and put it into, into a synthesizer to be able to come up with that iconic beginning. Yeah. Well, it's just a song like bargain. How great is that song? You know, it's, it's kind of an album track, but also, should be familiar to many listeners, you know, of classic rock radio. Um, top to bottom, it's just one after another, bang, bang, bang. And but above all else, it's those highlights. I think you know, Bob O'Reilly right. won't yep. get fooled yep. again. That yep. th- these are some of the greatest songs of all time, yeah. flat out. So yeah. uh, that's what a friend of mine once said. Not necessarily so, not placeable to an again. There's a difference, right? It's not placeable necessarily when you hear it. You don't say automatically that's who's next. Yeah, exactly. it's you say that's the who, and there there are other out al- there are other albums. There, you know, it's just a different sort of mindset and how you produce an album. Yeah, and and just you know, the who did have other great albums. I want to acknowledge uh, Tommy, obviously, you know, the the first rock opera or one of them. My my buddy Arthur's favorite album of all time. So just giving him a shout out. Uh, Quadrophenia, you know, and then you're going to go, like, The Who, maybe the greatest live band ever. So you got to mention Live at Leeds, which uh, we're not including live albums, but just wanted to kind of mention that. And uh, it's another well, podcast for you, Scott. That's another podcast. And, and if we talk about compilations, Meaty Beady, Big and Bouncy is uh, one of the great compilations. They, early on, they had some great singles. Uh, but but to me, the most perfect two album is still Who's Next, and uh, that's why as much as we love Neil Young, uh, 
They just that's why we just spent here. 10 minutes talking about that nacho. <laughs> exactly. Uh, both great albums. So uh, <laughs> on to the next one. And uh, this is very much a contrast. Number three, Pink Floyd, The Wall versus the Patti Smith Group, Horses at number 14. Yeah, that was a great matchup. Let's move on to the next. No, 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 no. <laughs> not so fast. Honestly, I don't know if you guys know Horses. I mean, how, how well you know it, but it's one of my all-time favorite albums. And Horses, Horses. I didn't even have to think about it. That's how, that's, that's how much I love The Wall. But uh, I do want to talk it's about like the Ash- it is like the Ashley Weeks matchup with yeah, the zombies. Exactly. I mean, yeah. in, in I a way that... as much as I love. Yeah, the difference is I knew that Larry loved the zombies. I didn't. I don't know what you guys think of of Patti Smith's horses, mm-hmm. and and I, I I think it's one of those lightning in a bottle albums we've talked about that she never came close to topping it, though she did yeah. some good stuff. It's got this very poetic, uh, you know, uh, lyrics and and the free flowing, very kind of. And everyone calls it like a punk rock album, but it had like two nine-minute songs. So it's it's influenced by punk, but not really punk. It's Bob Dylan influenced. It's garage. Uh, you know, you had Redondo Beach is kind of reggae. Free Money is really rocking. Birdland is just just this nine-minute masterpiece of just emotion and just a great album. I, I really love. And Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. Not mine. Yeah. Is that not like one of the all-time great opening lines, right? Her cover of Van Morrison's Gloria, which she totally redoes as her own. Uh, so I, I definitely want to give her her this album its props because it is a great album. But The Wall is one of my all-time favorite albums, and uh, we're not going to say that much about it. I don't I think. Just, uh, it. I just the only other shout-out I think we'll talk about now is that it is The Wall. It could have also easily have been Dark Side. It could also easily have been Wish You Were Here. And I yeah. think for all three of us, at least in this matchup, it probably also could have been Animals too or Metal. And we saw all would have said Pink Floyd. I'm not sure I would have said Pink Floyd for Metal and Animals, but for the other two, I definitely would have. But uh, yeah, up to animal, up to Animals. Maybe not. Uh, I, I do love Animals too, though. But that would be a close one for me. Uh, so we'll have more to say about that. Keith, do you want to add anything else? Or you, you say nah, I mean, Patty, Patty Smith, you know, it's a great album. It's got its place in, in the decade, but it's not a close matchup here. So. All right. So, uh, That is a good lead-in to our next matchup, which is television number seven, Marquee Moon, versus number 10, Paranoid by Black Sabbath. And we keep talking about Larry's spreadsheet because it's, it <laughs> is uh, quite the amazing thing. And I'm guessing Marquee Moon is another album that you discovered upon your, your spreadsheet projects. You know, a little, a little bit. So the first I ever heard of Marky Moon was when I was in high school, an avid subscriber and consumer of Rolling Stone. And when Rolling Stone came out with its first 
100 best albums of the last 20 years, which was the 100 best albums essentially since Rolling Stone had been in existence. And both of these albums, Paranoid and Murky Moon, were in it. Paranoid, I'd heard of and heard some songs. Murky Moon and Television, I'd never heard of. And if you guys remember, when we were growing up, it wasn't like you could just, you know, go on the internet or go onto Spotify or Apple Music, fire up. Or just steal it, right? You can't just, just steal it out. Steal it on Napster, right? And, and start listening to it. Like, if I wanted to listen to Marky Moon, I would have either had to find somebody who had it and then copy, you know, like get one of those cool double cassette things where you could copy one or record it or I'd have to go buy it. And I, just, I didn't know enough about it to do that. So I didn't come to television until much later, before the spreadsheet, but much, much later. And Yes, it definitely has its place in, in rock history. This is a another one of those early punk, at least American punk albums, you know, the whole Lower East Side CBGB scene. Very much, you know, Patti Smith was part of that scene as well, influenced by the Velvet Underground. But it's I would say what 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 differs from television though is is the musicianship. You know, yes. they were as much prog as punk. They 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 were CBGBs and they're slated there. But this is one of the greatest guitar albums of all time. Yeah, and listen, listening to television, I'm like, this is a how is a punk album have an 11 minute epic, you right. know, centerpiece yeah. song? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just yeah. like the this is not the Ramones. There's something very different. 15 second songs, right? It's very, and, yeah, exactly. and you're referring to the title track, but it had a lot of other great songs. See No Evil, Venus. For, I, I could go through the whole track list, really. The whole album's great. Um, no, so tell, and, and there is no, it, I, I'd say track for track, it, it's right there with Paranoid, right? Like, if, yeah. if you were going to say, if you were to average out how good each individual song was, there's no fill. There's no filler in Marquee. No, Tom Verlaine and Richard Lloyd were one of the great guitar tandems. They really complemented each other well. I'd say maybe Verlaine's voice is a bit of an acquired taste. It's not yeah, a great voice, but I think that the music is so good that it's you know you can kind of overlook that. Uh, I want to shout not, out this. I feel like this is not a super accessible album. It's it's one of the one of those albums where you have to. You have to kind of get into it because, like you said, yeah. it's not it's not great. But once you get past the beginning, it's more accessible. Yeah, like it is a more traditional album than would be implied by just being this punk, like this early punk. Yeah, album. you could see it's why it was like, a critic favorite and right. was not a commercial hit, right? I mean, you, it's you sort of like the that. early Stooges. In, in a way, it's like you know an evolution of the Stooges and that. It's punk, but it's also, you know, you can get a sense of why it's, you know, it, it's withstood the test of time the way it has. It's it's not wild like the Stooges were. It's, right. you know, it's, it, it's, it's more, you Musicianship know. Is, is and the accessible parts of the Stooges, the, the ex more ex accessible parts of the Stooges. Yeah, and just want to shout out to Adventure, their second album, which is also really good, but is you know one of those albums that's hopelessly overshadowed exactly. by by its you know the first album, which is was so great. Uh, Paranoid is you know it's one of the all time heavy metal albums, maybe the all time heavy metal albums. It's 
you know, it's the big three stands out above all else, right? You have War Pigs, Paranoid, and Iron Man, but but the album tracks are great too. You know, Planet Caravan was was an actual ballad and, and a very unique ballad with with a kind of almost like weird underwater sound that that's just very atmospheric and cool and electric funeral had these great twisting rips and hand of doom was was kind of epic also and fairies wear boots was was another great song so uh you know sabbath had a lot of great albums i i think you have to conclude paranoid is the black sabbath album and maybe the heavy metal album as a result and and so it it's got to move on here what do you think, guys? And, you know, one uh, one little trivia. Do, do, Scott, you might know this, but do, do you know what War Pigs was originally going to be called and why it's called War Pigs? Uh, yeah, I did know this at one point. Um, I mean, well, the album itself is going to be called War Pigs, right? Yeah. And, That's and why it, the cover art looks like that. Yeah, and, and it was because Geezer Butler thought that while Pergus was like satanic Christmas or something, and that it would be, um, you know, war pillars with like satanic evil, but it, it's not. So they decided to change it. And that's why they decided to change it to Paranoid. So <laughs> there's, some, yeah. there's some great stories about how, about the production of this album and how they created it as well. So, and, and, and also Paranoid was kind of like a throwing at the last minute where yeah. they like, oh, you need one more song. And they just yep. bang that, this quickie. And sure enough, it became their biggest song. Yep. That's chemistry but, for you. Yeah. But this was the Black Sabbath sound that they had created the same, the same year. Um, it's it's just like it's sort it's sort of like the Jimi Hendrix of a few years earlier, where there's a sound that that's emerging that is just new and different, and is going to change. You know, you know, it's going to change music forever. And it may be this, you know, the second album in, in their history, but it's got the songs behind it, and you know, it just. It's just a force, you know, there's a force behind Paranoid that Marquis just doesn't, yeah. you know. I mean, they invented heavy metal, so it's right? It's impossible for them to, it's impossible. They, they, you know, there's a lot of influences around the same time, but there was nobody that came out with Black Sabbath. Like we gave like, props to King Crimson for inventing prog rock. Black Sabbath invented heavy metal with their self-titled and then you could argue they perfected it with Paranoid. So yep. yeah, that was next level. So yeah, they got to go on here. The first song they ever created was just... <laughs> yeah, just like, like spooky as hell, right? Yeah, break on through. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, good, good, uh, good comparison there. So, so. Um, by the way, just to ret retrace our steps a bit, uh, who's next is going to battle the wall in the next round, and Paranoid will will battle the winner of this next matchup, which is our last matchup in the 70s. Uh, we have the number two seed, Led Zeppelin IV, uh, you know, called a bunch of other things too, symbols, Zofo, blah, 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 uh, versus er Derek and the Dominoes, Layla and other assorted love songs, and uh, to me, these are two great albums. Uh, you know, we talked about Cream before. 
Um, but I, I would personally argue that the greatest album Eric Clapton ever did. Was in fact Layla and other assorted love songs by Derek and the Dominoes, and and they were a great band. He had Jim Gordon on drums, legendary drummer, although probably better known for being infamous for murdering his mother. Um, that's a whole other podcast, I guess. She Bobby, was, Bobby she was Whit- talking shit. <laughs> yeah. Bobby Whitlock on uh, the keyboards and uh, also almost like a second lead singer almost on this album. His vocals were, were huge. And and then you had Carl Rattle on bass and, and Dwayne Allman on, on guitar and those guitar duels. Slide guitar. Yeah, Eric and Dwayne equals Derek, right? Eric yeah. and Dwayne equals Derek. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the story, the backstory with George Harrison, his wife, blah, blah, blah. Uh yeah. Love, what kind of what kind of best friend that is that? Man? Right. Come on, that ain't right. But but if you're gonna write a song like Layla, hey, all bets are off, man. It's uh, one of the great songs. <laughs> right. If you, if your experiences lead to genius, have your experiences. I won't I won't be mad at you. Exactly. And and hey, if George can forgive him, so can we for sure. Uh, great album. Uh, a lot of other great songs. Bell Bottom Blues. Uh, let's see, you know, the great cover of Little Wing, you know, Why Does Love Got to Be So Sad, Keep On Growing Any Day, just great album, but, uh, but it's, it's going against the buzz song, right? It's going against Led Zeppelin, man, we're talking about, if one band towered over, over the decade of the 70s, it, it was Led Zeppelin, and, and we could have picked any of their first six albums, and, and it would not have been wrong, although this one feels the most right. You know, first of all, it has Stairway to Heaven. So, I mean, I've heard many countdowns over the years, song countdowns, classic rock, and and I don't recall Stairway ever not winning. That's pretty amazing. Um, That's not exactly true. Yeah, I I I would say I don't recall ever hearing a song countdown that didn't have Stairway in the top. 10 or top five. But I'd say classic I, rock. You know, you know I, I'd, more say, I'd say Stairway, again, you know, coming from an era. Even Stairway if, was definitely the dominant song yeah. of like our and you know what growing up era. But I, I don't I don't think it occupies the same space that it did when you know when count when we were listening to you know Z1, whatever the rock station was, 92.3 or yeah, 102.7. When we were growing up, Stairway was always number one in the 80s, but it's not the 80s anymore. Not? <laughs> it's not the, sorry, Scott. It's not the 80s anymore. Stairway is, you know, has its place, but it also has its, you know, to try, you know, it's well, not this universal. Um, it's not to say it doesn't occupy the same space that it did. Yeah, I guess that spirit lawsuit also kind of knocked it down a few pegs. You know, the the first minute of the song, you know, somewhat plagiarized, uh, and they 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 got away with it. But uh, anyway, it's a great song. It's a great it's album. A great you song. Look at the track comparing list. it to Layla, comparing it to Layla, nonetheless. 
I mean, look at the the track list, right? Black track Dog, Rock and Roll, Battle of the Evermore, Missy Mount Hot, Four Sticks, Going to California Levy. when the Levee Breaks. Yeah. Like, remember when some, when albums were, were eight songs and nobody complained that it was too short? Right? They were, I mean, they were sub- it wasn't, you know, eight songs of 20, you know, of unless there was a death piece. But it was only this was a substantial. This was a substantial album. Again, we there. There's a difference growing up in, in an era where you grew up with the album, and again, we grew up with Zeppelin Four playing Zeppelin Four yeah. from start to finish, and like you know, tables. like you you every song is familiar. Whereas you know, people today the listening experience is just generally yes, different than. You have to commit to listening to an album to right. You buy it to, back then. You bought an album and you would listen to that album over and over again because you didn't have yeah, you unlimited an unlimited universe of what what you had access to. Yeah, and, and um, that's, so, probably, that's probably a good discussion for another podcast. Is how how much listening is different now than it was when we were all growing up. Like we all have a shared language of music. Because let's all face it. Let's let's be you know. Let's make sure our, our listening audience. Is, it's not like we when this album came out, we were listening. We were still yeah, babies, right. But we grew up like listening to Led Zeppelin four. This album came out what year? Seventy one. Yeah, maybe the greatest year in rock history. Yeah, one of them. So, that's another. I was was dumb and buying it. It's like a rite of passage, right, for us when we were in high school or or junior high, rather, right? You know, you you had to know Led Zeppelin four, and everyone knew Led Zeppelin four because, like you said, there were only four or five radio stations, and that's you could only listen to certain music unless you had. Lucky enough to have like an older brother or sister or cousin who could turn you on to stuff that maybe you didn't know before or cool parents who could do that. Other than that, you were stuck with the stuff you bought and the stuff you could listen to on the four or five radio stations you could get. And this if only if only all. if only Mark if only Mark Ratner knew what to play, maybe <laughs> Stacy would have, you know, yeah. ended up with him. Uh, if you're our age, you know what he just was talking about. <laughs> if, you're a lot younger. You probably don't. <laughs> it's a fast. I just saw Fast Times at, on on TV two days ago. So that's. I think Led Zeppelin is a victim almost of their omnipresence. You know, we we still get the let out, and and you've heard all these songs so many times over the years. Well, you know, which doesn't detract from how great this album is. It just maybe makes me. Uh, less likely to put it on you know at this at this point in they time. were also these rock they were gods in some sense and you know it was a full it's package easy to, man. it's I easy mean, to knock down like the, the yeah you know, who's sitting i at mean the top. you you look at like look at every guy in that band and they're among the all-time best at, at what they did and then when you throw them together and they're and they then you know exponentially better than even they were individually and and that's just something that you know that's why they're one of the greatest bands ever and that's why this is one of the greatest albums ever and uh so layla's going on so as as much as i raved about layla this was to me an an easy victory for led zeppelin and they're going to take on paranoid uh, the, you know, Zeppelin beat him up in the, in the band matchup, and uh, not to foreshadow any. Yeah, stay maybe, tuned for the next round. Maybe anyway. Paranoid will have a you know a little bit more luck this time, but uh, 
We'll see. So let me go through the the matchups for the next round. We have Ziggy Sardas against Born to Run. Unknown Pleasures versus Rumors. Who's Next versus The Wall. And Paranoid versus Led Zeppelin 4. These are phenomenal. 70s, albums. no joke. It's a tough yeah, bracket. Absolutely. So, uh, uh, again, guys, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to uh, hitting the 80s hard. And we'll be back soon. So good night, everyone. Good night. God, fuck.